This morning, our scripture lesson is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. Let us hear now a word from the Lord. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, speaking of Jesus, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning again, Faith. It is wonderful for us to, to be together, whether you are here with us in the sanctuary or whether you are with us online. We heard a word from the Lord this morning, so now let us open our hearts as we uh, approach this story out of Luke's gospel. I wonder if you remember the last time you felt a longing or even an ache, sort of that hope buried deep within about a future that you were imagining and, and sort of feeling like that has to happen and longing for it so deeply there was even that occasional ache in your soul. This is the kind of longing that is powerful enough to make you put all your eggs in that basket, which most of us cautious people try to avoid. But you know, there are times in life where it's sort of like, this is it, I don't have a plan B. And so that idea of the longing goes that deep. Usually there are seasons of life that are marked by this kind of deep hope, a passion that won't let you go. I would tell you, for me, that sense of longing has been and continues to be a church where all are welcome. There, there's just something about that that is so deep within me that I long for it so much sometimes it even hurts. I long for a church where all are welcome in our life together and at the table of Holy Communion. I long for a church where the welcome gets wider and the barriers get smaller. That's my longing. But I would ask you this morning, what is your longing? What is it in your life that you hope for so deeply you have put all your eggs in that basket? You long for it so deeply sometimes there's an occasional twinge of it just has to be this way. So as you hear this passage from Luke's gospel this morning, I want you to enter it with the memory of that longing. Because when Jesus was born, that sense of longing was not just individual. It was shared amongst the community. The sense of longing in their life together was thick in the air. For 500 years, friends, 500 years, God's people have been longing for the Messiah. The one who would follow in the footsteps of the greats, Moses, Elijah, King David. It was called the Messianic Hope. And it cast for them a powerful vision for the future. You could even say it kept them from giving up. Because they believed that one day, Rome would bow to the Almighty God, King and Sovereign of the universe. 
Now, there were no indications that that was going to happen. So imagine how deeply they had to hold that longing. They imagined that one day, life would be full of blessing and shalom instead of full of pain and oppression. They had a longing that one day, all the world would know that Yahweh is God and God alone. So it was kind of a, a longing and an ache and a hope all rolled into one. And it was a longing so deep that they as a people shared it together. So if you can imagine your longing and multiply it out by all of the people that are in your sphere, and that's how deeply they were longing for the Messiah. So this story that we read from Luke's gospel intentionally follows the story of Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness, which intentionally follows the story of Jesus receiving his baptism. His baptism is known as his entry into public ministry. And that story goes something like this. Jesus approached John the Baptist, who was baptizing people in the River Jordan, and asked to be baptized. John at first refused, and he said, no, you need to do this to make this right. And so John did. And after uh, Jesus' baptism, when he came up out of the water, a dove came from heaven. There was a heavenly voice that said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased to listen to him. That was a, a moment of marking, a moment of claiming, and a moment of calling. So powerful for Jesus that he had been named as God's son and given a particular purpose. And so after that, then, he goes into the wilderness to clarify that calling. Jesus clarifies his calling as he faces repeated distractions in those 40 days from the devil. And when he returns, he does so with a fire in his belly. He's remembering those words from his baptism. He's remembering the focus that he gained in the wilderness. That not even the offer of food and drink from the devil could sway him from what he felt he had been called and created to do. So in this story, friends, when he comes back and he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth, it is with a fire in his belly. He knows what he is about. He knows what he has to do. He has clarity and conviction. Clarity and conviction. So today we're going to take a look at what Jesus had a lot of, which is courage. And we're going to be following the work of Tom Berlin in his book, Courage, A Call to Brave Faith. Many of our groups are using this curriculum uh, during the sermon series, some of our Sunday school classes. Pastor Heather has this class Tuesday evening on Zoom. Uh, she, with her congregation of Living Water and some people from faith, are following this curriculum on Wednesday nights. And of course, if you don't have a group and want to participate, just let me know. We'll make sure we get you plugged in as we follow this book together um, to, to consider the courage that Jesus had to follow his calling. If you make your way through the book and the accompanying study, what you're going to notice is that courage isn't something you pull up from your own bootstraps. I think that's a misconception that we have about courage. We feel like that if we just try harder, if we just sort of double down and, and reach down a little bit deeper, we'll have more courage. But one of the things that Berlin does so beautifully in his book is to help us realize that's not where courage comes from. 
Courage doesn't arrive as the result of trying real hard. No, courage is more like a harvest. When you've nurtured the soil, when you've chosen the seed with care, when you've kept the weeds in check and offered water when needed and letting it go dry when needed, then you begin to spot courage, kind of like those little buds on the plant that then blossom and then turn into beautiful fruit. So it's a matter of nurturing the parts of our lives that bring courage to the fore rather than us trying harder to, to gain courage from somewhere within. In the first chapter of the book, Berlin says that courage takes root and is sustained by clarity. It's, it's that clear vision that Jesus had when he came back from the wilderness. I know what I'm about, right? And that that is actually what sustains courage, is that kind of clarity because you can go back to it again and again and again. Oh, that's right. That's what I'm about. Then in the second chapter, he says that conviction is kind of like the, the fertilizer for the tough days when the, condition, the conditions over which you have no control threaten your harvest. And, and courage is, is like that. It ebbs and flows. It waxes and wanes. And, and to be able to have that place deep within that has been fertilized allows you then to, to find that deep place to draw forth your clarity again. The passage from Luke's Gospel really illustrates Berlin's point. By the time Jesus returns from the wilderness, he knows exactly what he is about. And the gift of knowing what you are about is that you necessarily know what you're not about. For all of the things that we spend our time and energy on, that kind of clarity allows us to make sure that they're all headed in the same direction. In keeping with the tradition of his faith, Jesus shows up at the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. Now, remember, friends, there would have been nothing unusual about this. Jesus has returned from his desert wandering and wilderness, just as the Israelites returned from their wandering and wilderness uh, to, to cross over into the promised land. And so where would he go when he returns? Well, he would go to the community of faith. So he goes to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. Someone hands him the scroll and allowing him to, to read the passage from Isaiah, which identifies what he is about. The reading for that day was Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. And Jesus reads the passage in kind of a, a mic drop moment. Right? He says, this is who I am, and this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Boom. You know the Messiah that you've been waiting for, that you've been longing for. Here you go. I'm here. I'm ready to go. I know what I'm about. I have this deep, burning conviction within my soul. And I'm ready to lead us as a people to the kingdom of God. God's imagination for who we can be. Now, you can only imagine what the response of the uh, synagogue was in that moment. <laughs> you know? They said, oh, wh wh what? Jesus, we saw you when you were knee-high to a grasshopper, right? <laughs> we know your parents, Jesus. 
We saw you talk back to your mom at least once, pretty sure. No, no, not you, Jesus. And they get really angry and frustrated with him. But it doesn't matter because Jesus knows exactly what he is about. You could even call it his job description. He is that focused. He says, I'm about being anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit to bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the Lord's favor. That's it. That's what I'm about. He has clarity, friends, and when you know what you're about, you necessarily know what you are not about. And he has conviction, sometimes what I describe as the no matter what. No matter what. That's what I'm about. See, it's, it's sort of like keeping the finish line in focus so that whenever there's a distraction or a barrier or an obstacle, you know where you're headed and you can get back on the path so that you will achieve your goal no matter what. Clarity and conviction. Clarity and conviction don't come because you insist on them. And there are no cookie cutters for producing either one of them. Rather, both are the result of staying focused on the end goal. Or if you want to go back to the metaphor we used earlier, the harvest. Right? For, for all of those weeks and months that you've been nurturing that which will bring forth the harvest, you do so with the final goal in mind. And then, as the conditions warrant, you adjust. But you adjust because you can remember where you're headed. Right? If it's too dry, you water. Okay? If it's way to change the soil so the water drains away. If there are pests that are threatening the, the plant, you figure out a way to remove them. Because you have the end goal in mind. What you know, when you know what you are about, you necessarily know what you are not about. You know what the finish line looks like, and you determine to cross it no matter what, no matter what. So Friday morning, I heard an interview on NPR with Daryl St. George. And uh, if any of you are interested in that, I would highly recommend it. You can just search it on the Internet. Uh, but it was a beautiful feature story with Mr. St. George. Right now, he teaches high school in Long Island, New York. But 20 years ago, you are probably aware that we just passed the 20th anniversary of September the 11th. And 20 years ago, Mr. St. George was finishing college in New York City. And so he has this visceral memory of that day and what followed in the next few days, in the next few weeks, in the months, and the years after that. So Mr. St. George graduated from high school and took a job teaching. I'm sorry, he graduated from college and took a job teaching high school but after a few years of teaching, he felt a call to enlist. He enlisted as a Navy corpsman so he could treat wounded Marines in Afghanistan. And he did that for a number of years, served a number of tours, and then when he came home, he went back to teaching high school. Currently, he teaches a class uh, in a high school on Long Island uh, about 9-11, a whole class about what happened on September 11th, and in the weeks, in the years, and the uh, decades that followed. 
Now, let's think about this, friends. He's teaching this to high school students, who the oldest of them would likely be 18. So all of his students were not even born when 9-11 happened. But he knows what he is about. He has clarity and conviction that his experience of that and then his subsequent experience in Afghanistan and coming home to be a high school teacher again is so important to him that he teaches a year-long class to high school students, which, by the way, is filled to capacity every single year. He also runs a club at the high school called Project Vets, which stands for Veterans Enlisting Teachers and Students. He has clarity and conviction. He knows what he is about to connect students with the privilege and sacrifice of serving our country in the military. For St. George, that is his no matter what. It was so powerful for me to hear him talk about, and in the interview, he goes through uh, his reflections on our um, exit from Afghanistan. Because, you know, the point he was making is that we have forgotten that the reason we were in Afghanistan is because of what happened on September the 11th and how important that is to him because it's something he's even given his whole entire life to. I don't know how you feel about all of those issues, but when you look at a person like Daryl St. George, what you see is courage. And his courage comes from a place of clarity. He knows what he is about, And so he necessarily knows what he is not about. And he has this powerful no matter what. No matter what. We won't forget. And we will help the generations that are coming after us to understand why we made the sacrifices that we did. You could also call it his magnificence. In Berlin's book, he notes that the 13th century theologian Thomas Aquinas uses this term to describe clarity that leads to courage, a person's magnificence. For Daryl St. George, his magnificence is connecting his students to the real lives that were changed and continue to be changed by the tragic events of September the 11th, 2001. So I would ask you this morning, do you know what your magnificence is? Berlin offers some suggestions in his book. He says, Caring for my parents will be my magnificence. I thought that was a beautiful uh, image of caring for your parents. Helping our town expand affordable housing will be my magnificence. Learning how to raise our children well will be my magnificence. Refurbishing the park for kids in our neighborhood will be my magnificence. There's something about being able to, to phrase it with the word magnificence. That is the clarity and that is the conviction that leads to courage. And so I would ask you to, to identify what is your longing, friends? What is the longing that is so deep within you that it occasionally aches? Because that's where you're going to find courage. That's where you'll find your magnificence. I want to challenge you this week to follow your longing. Despair and failure can often drown out its call to us. I think that the biggest uh, enemy of courage is futility. It's not something getting in the way. It's feeling like it will never happen. And the second biggest enemy of courage is apathy. 
And, and part of that, the reason that that takes us over in those places where we are called to be courageous is because we have stopped listening to the call of the longing. So don't let despair or failure drown out its call to you. Listen. Listen to your longing and listen for your magnificence. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.